Welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, headmaster of Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome back to Accord of Three Strands. Mr. Young, in past episodes of this podcast, you talked about how American culture has lost its way. Yes, it has. <laughs> what, what can we do about that? What do you propose we do to let's, remedy that? Let's build a new culture. Build an entirely new culture. That sounds like an awfully audacious proposition. Um, how, do, how can we do that? All right. Well, let me start again from the beginning. We have talked in the past about how God made us, the humankind, in his own image and likeness in order for us to have dominion. That is a wise ordering or rule over the earth. The way we order our time, our stuff, our space, our words, our rituals, our habits, all that and more is a culture. And because we're made in his image and likeness, culture making is inevitable. But the church, I think, has lost sight of this and, uh, and even its know-how in culture making. So my hope, my hope is that we can begin to order our lives in intentional ways so as to bring glory to God. So, you know. Ordering our lives in certain ways to bring glory to God. I mean, what does that come down to? Does it just come down to, uh, you know, reading the scriptures and then enacting them as individuals or corporately within our community? Like, what are some things that we can do to move in that direction, you know, as members of a culture? Yeah, I I think you in essence, you're right. If we just read scripture and obeyed it, that would make a huge right. difference. Um, but there's, there's a, a, a part of uh, what God did in making us his um, uh, in his image and likeness, that there's this freedom. In other words, uh, different people at different times and in different locales could order things in different ways and, and still be glorifying to God. Um, you know, so I would expect that a culture that was, you know, in the northern part of the Midwest is going to be different from uh, people who live in the desert of New Mexico. Um, but it it will have in common certain things um, and it'll all be uh, ways in which would glorify God, which I think is part of the problem is we've lost the understanding of what glory means mm -hmm. um, or, or, or what, um, or how to do that. Um, well, the Westminster catechism, shorter catechism asks, what's the chief end uh, that is purpose of man. And the answer is, do you remember Noah? 
put you on the spot. You did. You did. Enlighten me. Uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, when the Westminster divines put this together, they had a particular understanding of what that means to glorify God. I think in our day, uh, people tend to reduce that down to saying things right. about God or singing things about God. So to glorify God is to sing a praise song or, or something to that effect. Um, but, but really the idea of glory is the distinctive excellence of a thing. Mm-hmm. So when you, uh, when you glorify God, it means that the distinctive excellence of God is shown forth in your ordering of life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me give you a, a couple examples. If no, if I were to go to your house and, um, and I have no idea about this, by the way, with you. But but if I were to go into your house and into your room and there's um, this ginormous uh, muskie hanging on your wall mm-hmm. and I look around and there's there's, you know, a, a, a big smallie there and, a, and a, a walleye and, you know, just all these trophies. Right. What would I assume about you? That I spend a lot of my time fishing and that you're good at it. Right. Right. In other words, the distinctive excellence of Noah Tetzner <laughs> in his fishing ability is being displayed on your walls. Yes. Right. These are trophies of your glory. Mm-hmm. And when I see it, I, I understand about you that you are a good fisherman. Yeah. Right. right. Um, we, we live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we have a nickname about our, our uh, little town here. What's it called? Title Town. Title Town. Why is it called Title Town? Well, that has something to do with the, the Green Bay Packers, of it course. It does have something to do with the Green Bay Packers. They happen to have won lots of titles, right? Yes. Uh, world championships. And then when the Super Bowl came came about, we started winning Super Bowls. <laughs> and our, our nickname then became Title Town. And it is a, uh, it is a way um, in that uh, reference to um, our, our city a reference to the greatness of our football team Mm -hmm. who they're going to win again this year. Right. Right. (laughs) I I hope anyway, uh, but, but in other words, these are, these are examples of, of a way in which, um, you know, by, by putting that trophy on the wall or renaming a city title town, it, it gives a hint. It points to something about the glory of uh, that, that bear for you it would be that the fishing ability for the, the city, for the football team's excellence. Um, and, and so the idea here is when, when uh, the Westminster divine says that the chief end of man, our main purpose is to glorify God. It's not just that we would say good things about God or to, mm-hmm. to uh, praise him or to, uh, to ascribe to him, uh, glory, all these distinctive excellences. It's, it's actually in our life as image bearers, when we order our lives in a way uh, that is good, mm-hmm. right. That, that goes along with the purposes that God has made us. You begin to see uh, the distinctive excellence of God in that culture, in that, that ordering. Right. And, and so we just need to become conscious of that. And when we choose to act or to order uh, our lives, um, and, and by that I mean our time, 
it, our stuff, yeah. <laughs> right? Our space, our, our, um, our relationships, our words, um, all these things um, can point to the excellence, the distinctive excellence of God. And when we're doing that, then we're having a culture that really glorifies him. So, so that's, that's the idea. So one of the questions we might ask then is what are the distinctive excellences of God? Yeah. Like name one. Um, I mean, just any of Christ's, I mean, you know, abilities. Yeah. I mean, his, his excellence, right. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. Yes. So think of it as omnipotence, for instance, his power, right? The, the psalmist says that the heavens declare his glory, right? They yeah. pour forth speech. So if I look up at the stars and, and I see these stars and I contemplate uh, the, just the, the beauty yeah. of it, the grandeur of these stars, they're, they're not actually um, making noises that are, that are, Right. Speech to me. Right. But what they're displaying is this distinctive excellence of God's power. Right. His greatness, his largeness. I mean, when when I see, you know, it's especially powerful when you're out, you know, maybe up in the mountains somewhere out in a desert at night or or even in in, um, the the north woods. Right. And (laughs) there's no clouds and you just look up and see the vast array of stars in the sky, you are distinctly aware of how tiny you are, right? How small you are (laughs) in comparison to this universe that God made with just his voice Mm -hmm. and how powerful he is and how big he is, right? You said omnipotent. Um, The the God who with his voice can create such a universe. Yeah. Right. Could do anything. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and, and in contrast, uh, I, I really can't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, so his power, his greatness, um, you, you can see in the stars, you can see in, in things now, you know, another one, I mean, the, the ultimate God is love, right? How do we know God's love? Well, scripture tells us that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been demonstrated. If, if we look at Jesus as our ultimate example, mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, just, uh, so, you know, uh, we know that he's more than just our example. Yeah, yes. He is our, he is our substitute. <laughs> uh, he, he died on the cross for our sin. That's really the thing. I'm just saying he is also an example. Yes. Um, if he's our ultimate, ultimate example of a human being living in perfect obedience to God, the, the thing, this distinctive excellence that we see in Jesus is love. Right. Right. He gave up. Right. In Philippians, it talks about him giving up uh, his divine prerogatives. He emptied himself of those things um, to become human. Uh, So here's someone who is a God who has never experienced uh, a want or a need or any kind of suffering or anything. He voluntarily entered it for our sake. He became a baby. Someone had to change his, the same God, right? Through his word, right? The logos of God, which is the Greek word for word, that word that created those stars. We were just talking about the greatness of it um, became a baby and had to get his diapers changed. Think about it. Yeah. Why? For us. 
right. and for our sake, not, not just because he, you know, he felt like it or something, <laughs> right. He had a purpose. Mm-hmm. He became human. He became flesh so that he can take on our sin yeah. and suffer and bleed and die on the cross for our sake. There is no such greater, there's no greater love yeah. than that. Right. Right. So, um, so that, that, that's another distinctive excellence of God is love. Right. So, so the idea here is if, if, if this is what we're supposed to be doing is creating an order within our lives, within our families, within our churches, within our schooling, within our, our communities, um, that are displaying the distinctive excellence of God, it, we need to understand what those distinctive excellences are. Right. And, and then when we're making decisions on how we are to live our lives together mm-hmm. to order things, we, we have those things in mind. Right. 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 We intentionally do that. Right. Right. So, so how, so if God is, like all of these distinctive excellences, I mean, like love, you know, greatness, power, you know, omnipotence, et cetera, et cetera. How can we as mere mortals bring glory to God and glorify God? Sure. Now, one thing is to give recognition to that, okay. right? Which is what we're used to. In fact, our next episode is going to be about worship. Yeah. Uh, just so you should stay tuned and listen <laughs> to our next episode on worship. But but what I'm talking about is more than that. It's about how these things are show up then in the way our day-to-day lives are organized and, and run. Mm-hmm. So one of it is if if God is uh if God is powerful, if he is all knowing, if he is you know, yeah. that's another distinctive excellence, then uh, a way that shows that is that is in our obedience. Right. That, that when we obey God, in other words, we recognize that God's word is true and it is good mm-hmm. and that it it is going to to give life. Yeah. And we then live our lives in conscious obedience to his word. Then it, it displays a God who is worthy of being obeyed, a God that is uh, who knows what is good and what is right and what is just and yeah. what is loving. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So, so part of it goes, that's almost to your original thing. So what do we do? We read scripture and we obey it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> we're going to end the podcast now. No, you got it right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there we go. But, but, um, but these things are uh, make a difference in our day-to-day life and in the way we intentionally order it. So, um, God is the, uh, is a, a provider. Yeah. Right? He made the, so we, we have been given, right. um, all that we need for this life and for godliness. He has given us, um, food, right. right? One of the, <clears throat> one of the greatest things about God. Yeah. All right. I'm being a little, uh, cheeky here. <laughs> um, but if you had a picture of me, you would understand this. I love food. I do. I thank God for food. But if you look at one of the first things that God ever does in the Bible, after he made human beings, is he said, here, take and eat, right? Have have this, all this is for you. Eat it all. Right. Right. Is it John 21, 12? That's my favorite verse. (laughs) Yes. John 21, 12. Come 
have let's have breakfast. I mean, how cool is that? The resurrected Jesus, Jesus after the resurrection, he goes to his disciples and says, "Come, have breakfast." What a great God! I <laughs> I love it. I love it. So um, imagine then uh, a culture in which you don't recognize that God is the giver of these good things. It yeah. would be horrible. Mm-hmm. But instead, what we ought to do is give him thanks. Yeah. Right. We understand that he has uh, blessed us. He is what we are receiving from him is a gift. And our response, our proper response is this gratitude and giving thanks. Mm-hmm. So it has been um, it, it's interesting when you look at um, I mentioned the Westminster Catechism of Faith. But if you if you look at um, pastors in um, at different times in in uh, at the Reformation, for instance, at um uh, in, in different circumstances, and they they write instructions for their people, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be a catechism, whether it be a um, you know the teaching of the twelve apostles, the Didache. Um, it, it says, um, you know, this is a good prayer to pray before a meal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, you, you we need to teach um, uh, teach people to give thanks before each meal. Right. As a as a way of ordering your time, of ordering your life uh, in a way that's giving glory to God, that's that's uh, bringing glory to him. It's a recognition that he's the giver of all these good things. And we respond in gratitude and thanks. And perhaps this is, um, you know, something of a a rabbit trail. Um, But, you know, we talk about reading scripture and I, I mentioned this and it's a term that's very popular in certainly secular circles, but, but truly like to meditate on the glory of God and his abilities and examples that we see throughout scripture his works, et cetera. And his word is that, is that a word that we should be thinking about meditation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Meditate comes from a word that, that has to do with like chewing your cud, right? Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. So uh, if, if you're not familiar with a, a cow or, you know, any, yeah. any kind of cud chewing animal, yeah. uh, they, they, they eat their food and they regurgitate it up and they chew it some more mm. and they swallow it and they regurgitate a little more and they chew it some more. Yeah. And that's, that's in that chewing the cud. That's, that's where we get the term meditate from. And, and it's this idea of dwelling on it. Right. Uh, dwelling on it. We're, we're a very fast paced culture. Yeah. Uh, we, we want to get our information in as little, <laughs> in as, little as effort as possible. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's work uh, to meditate, right? right. We, we have to consciously take the time to do it and to realize that we, we probably don't have it all. Let's bring it up again. Think about it more, contemplate mm-hmm. on it more and and when we're intentional in doing such things, it gives us a greater uh, knowledge and understanding of the things of God and of what he's done and his, as I called it, his glory, his distinctive excellence. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's then that we can begin to imitate. Right. right. So, so part of it, and I'm going to just, uh, this is a rabbit trail, but I think it's an important one. Yeah. I, I think this is part of it. If, if Christian culture is going to be renewed in our world, it is going to take work. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take more than just uh, uh, reading a how-to list yeah. and then putting something together really quick. It's going to take the, a conscious meditation on God's word um, in order to find those 
uh, truths and that that goodness um, and that uh, even that inspiration of uh, of how to do things or this practical wisdom that can come from it, that that as we order our lives around it, then uh, brings glory to God. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fascinating. So, and, and that's something that, I mean, and like, um, like keeping in mind the creator, do you think that contemplation of beauty and of God's creation is a window into the creator himself? Absolutely. Right. So, so, I mean, just think about it for a second. There is an enormous, enormous variety in the natural world of, yeah. of plants, of animals, of, right. Of, you know, birds and trees and flowers. And, and, and what's amazing to me is, is when you, when you contemplate it, first of all, uh, you see God's wisdom, the, mm-hmm. the excellence of God, the distinctive excellence of God in his wisdom and being able to have um, to create systems in which all these creatures and plants and everything work together uh, for not just for survival, but also for thriving. Yeah. And then here's the other part. And this is the part that really gets me is the beauty of it. Mm. Right. Why was God so concerned with painting butterflies wings the way he did right. or certain birds or flowers Right. Right. And then and creating smells and just all sorts of things, the, the variety and the detail and, and all this, it it makes us understand that God is really uh, a, an, an amazing creator. Right. Yeah. He, he didn't he wasn't um, some pragmatic God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You feel like he just did this because he delighted in it. Yeah. Right. How, you know, he, he probably could have made the world vastly different, but he didn't. He chose it this way. Right. And it and it's got such beauty and um, power and majesty. And and, uh, and and of course, that, you know, if we study historical examples of Christian culture, we can see that in human architecture as well. Right. Yeah. The sheer Ab- beauty. Absolutely. Points to God. Absolutely. Which is something that we've lost as we've. As we have gone away from of, of a Christian culture mm-hmm. in America, I'll use in America because um, that's really our context. But yeah. what, what you see is, is as we left Christian culture and the ordering principles of our life were no longer God, yeah. <laughs> but um, mammon, right? That's the, the word that is used for money. Uh, when it's uh, put in a way of uh, as an idol, right? Yeah. When money has become an idol, it's mammon in the Bible. Uh, that becomes the ordering principle. Well, then um, we start thinking of things like uh, what we're going to build as uh, in pragmatic terms, mm-hmm. right? What's efficient? What's cheap, right? What's right. the first thing to go is beauty. Yeah. Beauty is expensive. Right. Yeah. Practical square boxes are cheap. Yep. Right. So, um, so you begin to see uh, churches go from these majestic cathedrals, Mm -hmm. you know, even here in green Bay, Wisconsin, right. Uh, You go to churches built in the fifties or before. Yeah. 
They're just beautiful. They are. I mean, we've been renting facilities at Annunciation, for instance. You go into that sanctuary and, oh, it's, yeah. isn't it? It is. It's just gorgeous. It's it beautiful. The, the pe- people spent, I, I don't know how much money it cost to build that sanctuary. Yes. But it was, it's beautiful. Yes. I think of St. Pat's. Now, St. Pat's, it's another Catholic church in the Quad Parishes here. And and um, it, and I, I say this because it's more in my neighborhood. Uh, I live on the northwest side where all the Irish you know, <laughs> people went to work on the railroad. Yeah. Right. Right. And these poor Irish workers who probably came to America with nothing mm-hmm. and, and were practically slave labor. Yeah. What, what kind of church did they build? I know. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? It right. was, it was because it, it was for God right. and for his glory. Um, uh, you, you look in the same era, you, you have uh, the down the road is the Methodist church, St. Paul's United Methodist church. Again, yes. beauty, just, it's just beautiful. Yes. And, and then you, you get into the two thousands, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> the 1990s. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, and, and things are like, they look like gyms. They look like, right. You know, they're, 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 they're multi-purpose rooms. Right. Right. Now, Kinda. now there's nothing. Uh, wrong with it if right you know you have a limited budget and and stuff yeah. i i i just want to point out the fact that um the church followed the rest of culture and in going into very pragmatic ways the yes. beauty has became optional or even uh, somehow i don't know even negative yeah right you know I think it's something beautiful is ostentatious or something or, uh, right. Right. I mean, I th- I'm always reminded of the, 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 um, Mary who, who pours the expensive perfume on Jesus. And the first thing that the, the disciples think of is, well, that's a lot of money. We could be using it for ministry. Right? right. And, and Jesus is like, no, she's done a beautiful thing. Yeah. She's done a beautiful thing for me. Well, you know, why would, right. But we still think the same way. Yeah. Whoa, wait, that's, that's expensive, right? That, right. We could have used, we could have used that for ministry. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, um, I, I don't think Jesus minds beauty, beauty. No, it's a, it's a reflection of him. I mean, we, we just built our school, our yes. first phase or phase one, a <laughs> Providence Academy. We move in, um, in December. And, uh, and that, that's one of the questions that people have. Why, mm why this building, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's big. It's got these arches. It's, it's beautiful. And it looks like a church. They, everyone thought it was a church being built there, not a school. Yeah. But part of it is we, we want, we want our students to grow up around beauty. Yes. Uh, we want them to think of it and understand that this is good. Right. We, we also, I mean, frankly, we want 200 years from now. Yes. We want it to still be beautiful. Yes. You know, if, if it was just a little square box somewhere, you know, give it 50 years and everyone's going to be sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's make something that's going to stand the test of time and be beautiful and, and bring glory to God. It's, it's going to be, and because it is intentionally for the glory of God, right? Remember yeah. we talked about his majesty his his greatness. And when we were in that, in the woods, in the dark night, looking up at the stars and how small we felt. Yeah. Part of that is, is that we understand then how big God is. Yeah. And so if we go into a, a building like the, the new building that we're 
moving into. And, um, and the kids, kids view will be looking up. Yes. Right. Right. We're not the center of the world. Right. God is right. It's, it, it's going to continue to um, make them understand that God is, God is the center. God is the key. Well, and it's, it's even like, um, and of course, you know, many churches still practice this sort of motif that the pulpit is not directly in the center of the sanctuary, you know, uh, the crosses it's off to the side. Whereas, you know, some other churches might, might, uh, do things a little bit differently. So that's right. a testament to that tradition as well. Yeah. There's all sorts of, yeah, there's all sorts of different reasons why, and, and this is, and I don't have much of a problem. Right. So, yeah. um, so sometimes it's the, the, in, in a lot of Protestant, uh, reformed churches, you're going to have the pulpit square in the center. Yeah. And then <laughs> below it is going to be the altar, the, the communion table. Right. right? And, and part of that is that the, these, both these things are front and symbol word and sacrament. Okay. And that the word, interesting that the word yeah. is the thing that interprets the sacrament, right? The pulpit is a, a little higher yeah. over, over that. There you have the split chancel where you have a lectern on one side and the pulpit on the other side and the, and the community table in the front, in the middle. Yeah. And, and that again has this idea of the, the, the three big things is the, the preached word or the, 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 the read or written word from the Bible, the preached word, you know, again, and, and then also the, uh, the enacted word in the sacrament. And so it's those three things in the, yeah. in the middle. So there's, there's a lot of symbolism and, and, the, and here again, yeah. America going downhill, <laughs> no one remembers what the symbols mean anymore. Right. Remember part of culture has to do with symbol. And when the, when the symbols are lost when we don't know what they mean or why we do anything anymore. They're easily discarded mm -hmm. or they're looked down upon. Yeah. Right. And, um, and it's one of those things we need to recover that we need to recover uh, the language of the church. We need to recover the, you know, how yeah. do we, how are we going to glorify God? If we lose the language of the church, if we lose the symbols of the church, if we lose. Right. Right. So, so that's part of culture making too, is the rediscovery of these things and, and intentionality. I, I had, when I pastored a church, um, I had this continual battle where I would have uh, the Bible in the, so we had a split chancel. So we had the yeah. lector and the, and then on the community table, I always had an open Bible that was in the middle mm -hmm. facing the congregation. Mm -hmm. And, and the idea, again, it's an old, um, older reformed, thing. And that is that the Bible is what tells us that we can come to the father through Jesus, the son, without the, any other intercessor, but Jesus, oh, right. Right. The Bible is the one that brings us to him. Yeah. And it's, and so the Bible in this case, this open Bible is a symbol that has been placed on the communion table. Yeah. Right. And, and we do that. And there's a sweet lady in our church and love her um, who who would want to decorate the table and would put the Bible on one side and like flowers on the other, as if the Bible was a decoration. Oh, sure. And it's not a decoration, right? It's a symbol, <laughs> right. right? Most definitely. Right? It's, it's yeah. a symbol, whatever you do. Yeah. I don't, if there's flowers, that's fine, but you can't move the Bible from it. It's position that it's no longer a symbol. It's just merely a decoration. Yes. And how often that, how easy that is when we forget, yeah. Right. So part of this Christian culture that we need to work on is 
is is we're ordering everything and that's going to include our symbols yeah it's going to include how where we put things how we order our stuff and yeah and there's meaning and it's got to have meaning and and it, then the meaning has to go beyond just pleasing to the eye right right so right. so it it's it's work yeah no definitely well mr young i think that's a great note to end our conversation here today on, you know, as we sort of look to next week to talk all about worship, but any final thoughts for the listeners about anything we discussed? Yeah. Again, I want to reiterate that because we are made in his image for the purpose of dominion, dominion, this ordering, this culture making is inevitable. Human beings all do it. It's inevitable. The, the only question is, how are we going to do it, right? How are we going to do it? We actually have a choice, right? Uh, but we have to become conscious of what it is that we're going to do. Yeah. And that's all I'm appealing to. Let's, we, our culture right now is not good. <laughs> it, it's yeah. not working well. Mm-hmm. It's not bringing about human flourishing, um, and, uh, and God's word has lots to say. So let's order our culture around his word and, uh, and bring true goodness and, and beauty, uh, t- to our world, uh, for God's glory and, uh, our neighbor's good. 